can someone just give me a check please to make sure that everything is working you can hear me fine Can everyone hear me? Anyone hear me? Can someone just give me a quick sound check, please, inshallah, before we begin? Just want to make sure. Okay, Jazakallah khair. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wal-aqibatu lil-muttaqeen. Wal-a'udwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa-ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah wahdahu la sharika lahu ilahu al-awwalina wal-akhirin. وأشهد أن نبينا وسيدنا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So welcome to another lesson of Quran in progression Inshallah Ta'ala I hope that بإذن الله تعالى Today we will finish the tafsir of Surah Al-Layl So last lesson we spoke about a number of verses from this Surah In which Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala after mentioning the two paths that people can take, the path of those people, that Allah Azza wa Jalla says their path will be made easy and smooth for them. And the path for those people who Allah Azza wa Jalla says that hardship will be made easy and smooth for them because they choose that path of hardship. Allah Azza wa Jalla in the verses that we took in the last lessons then spoke about the uh, punishment of those people who will turn away from Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, And Allah Azza wa Jalla in those verses uh, which we mentioned last week, which began with the verse That Allah warns those people of a raging, burning, blazing fire And we mentioned last week, and there's a question that came in uh, in the last lesson Concerning what we said that the origin of that word is with the two ta's So it's and then what the Arabs often do to make things easier Is to have a single term, you said the whole uh, one of the, the the reasons from an Arabic point of view and a linguistic point of view as for the reason for a repetition of the ta is to show that something is continuous, it's constant. So when you have something which is tatafa'al on that wazan, on that same rhythm of tatafa'al, what it essentially means is that it's a constant process, it's a continuous process. So when Allah says it is tatalaqla, it is something the fire continues to rage. It's not something which after a while will, will, will weaken, will become, will become less. It's not something which after a while will burn itself out. It is something which will continuously burn and it will continuously rage. And its ferociousness and ferocity will always be at its maximum because that is what Allah has decreed it to be as. And so the question that came in was, uh, we mentioned last week that the Zaqira'ah such as the Qarab ibn Bazzi, uh, who's one of the, uh, Al-Bazzi, sorry, one of the Ruwat of Ibn Kathir, uh, when he reads it with a shadda, because when you make idgham of the two taz, it becomes a shadda, and so he reads it as naran taladha. So he makes a little shadda, he holds onto the sound of the ta, and then he recites it. And the question that came in was, how come the other Qur'an don't do that? There's no shadda. The reason they don't do that is because when you have a sukun and then a shadda, essentially what you're having are two sukuns. So when you have a tanween, which is the naran, a tanween is made up of a harakah and a sukun, right? And this is getting slightly technical into the Arabic language and the linguistics of it, but just so that we understand, when there's a tanween, a tanween is made up essentially of two things. Number one is a, a, a harakah, which is the fatha, kasra, dhamma, and then a sukun sound, na, run, run, uh, or uh, any any type of, 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 of tanween that you have will do the same, you'll have a sukun at the end. And that's why in tajweed, the ruling of noon, sakina, and tanween are always the same, right? It's one category. It's called the ruling of Ahkam Noon As-Sakina wa Tanween. Why a Tanween? Because the end of the Tanween is also a Sukun. So the Noon Sakina and the Tanween, both of them have a Sukun. That's the reason why they're mentioned together. So when you have the Sukun and the Shadda, which is also a Sukun sound, when you have two Sukuns that come together, it is something which is very difficult to pronounce. So that's why when you hear the recitation of Al-Bazzi, it's not easy to read. Something which is heavy upon the tongue, and the Arabs generally don't like that, and that is why the majority of the Qur'an don't make that shadda. They don't make the shadda because of the iltiqa sakinin, because of the two, uh, the two thingy, um, you know, the two sukuns when they come together. It's a very difficult pronunciation. However, some of the Qur'an kept the asal, right? They keep the asal, and that's what something that you will find. It's amazing if you study the qiraat. One thing that you will find in the qiraat 
is that some of the different ways of the Arabs and the reading of the Arabs remain there. They continue to stay upon it, even though the majority of the Quran may actually go to what is an easier pronunciation. So, for example, the word hum, right? Hum means what? It means they, right? When it's added onto another word, especially if it's a word that makes things into a kasra, like the huruf al jang, like ala and ila and fi, then what you essentially have is a kasra on the ha. So, alayhim, ghayril maghdubi alayhim, right? Sirat al ladina namta alayhim. The actual word in its origin is hum, not him. But the reason why the ha has a kasra now is because the word before it, which is the ala, right, alayhim, the ala, the ala makes everything that comes after it have a kasra. However, you will find in some qira'at, such as the qira'at of Hamza, uh, who is one of the famous seven qira'at, he keeps the dhamma and the hum. So his recitation, and you may have heard this if you've, if you've ever listened to a reciter who reads in, in, in the qira'at of Hamza, like Khalaf or Khalad, they say, Sirat al-Zirat al-Ladina an'amta alayhum, ghayril maghdubi alayhum. And they don't say him, because they keep to the origin of the word. So that's one of the amazing things that you find in the Qira'at, that you will find the different ways of speaking of the Arabic language, the way that the different dialects work. They have, its, uh, they have their places within the Qira'at also. So that's the reason why we have that, that, uh, that shadda or that tashdeed with some Qura' and the, the shadda not with other Qura'. The point of this being, uh, to recap the last lesson, that Allah Azza just spoke about those people and He said that they are those who turn away and that they are the worst of people and the most wretched of people. Allah Azza has prepared for them a fire that will continuously blaze, right? it will continue to rage. In verse 17 onwards now, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala uh, now speaks about the other group of people, those people who chose the path of ease, those people who chose to follow the path of Allah Azza wa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will speak about them now in these last few verses of this surah until its conclusion. And Allah Azza wa says, وَسَيُّجَنَّبُهَا الْأَتْقَى The most pious one will be spared this. Spared what? Spared that raging, blazing fire that Allah Azza wa spoke about when he said, فَأَنذَرْتُكُمْ نَارًا تَلَضَّى I warn you of that fire. Who will be saved from it? And what is the it here? It is that brazing fire, those who will be saved from it are from the most pious. And as we said in the last lesson, when Allah said the most wretched of people, that means that there are levels of fire for the most wretched of people and that Allah is speaking about them. It doesn't mean that everyone else who also deserves to go in the fire, there's no fire for them, that the fire is only for these one group of people. And we spoke about that aqeedah issue in the last lesson. We don't have the time to go and repeat that again now. But the point being that this verse is very similar. So when Allah Azza says the most pious, it means that these people are the ones that will have no punishment in the fire, that Allah Azza will save them, that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala will enter them into paradise without accounting and without punishment, that Allah Azza will give them the highest levels of Jannah, such as that famous hadith in which the Prophet وسلم, spoke about the 70,000 who will enter into paradise without accounting, without punishment. And they said, who are they, O Messenger of Allah? And the Prophet said, they're those people who don't uh, cauterize and they don't seek any ruqya and they don't and they trust upon their Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala and then the companion the famous companion Ukasha radiallahu anhi stood up and he said O Messenger of Allah make me from amongst them and the Prophet made dua for him O Allah make him from amongst them and the man other man stood up from the companions and he said O Messenger of Allah make dua for me also and the Prophet said to him Sabaqaka biha Ukasha Ukasha beat you to it those people are the people that Allah Azza wa Jal has considered to be the most pious. The most pious meaning that they are the ones that Allah Azza wa has saved from more punishment. May Allah Azza wa make us from amongst them. Doesn't mean that there are others who won't be saved from that punishment, but this is also, this is the group of people that have the highest levels of Jannah. And that's why you will find in the vast majority of the books of Tafsir, when speaking from verses 17 onwards to the end of this surah, Surah Tulayn, the vast majority of the scholars of Tafsir will give the example of this verse applying to the likes of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. They will mention Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu by name. And that doesn't mean that it's exclusive to him radiallahu anhu. But what it means is that it's something which he is first and foremost in that category. Right? And so there will be others as well that Allah Azza wa will bless with this reward. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us and our parents and our teachers from amongst those people and our families and children. But it means that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is first and foremost. And that's why you will find that this is the example that is often given in, in the tafsir of these verses, the example of Abu Bakr radiallahu So Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, and the person who will be saved from the raging ferociousness of the fire or the raging ferocity of the fire are the people who are considered to be at taqi those people who have piety. And 
Urwa, as Ibn Abi Hatim, and many of the scholars is, is reported on Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu and Urwa, rahimahullah ta'ala, from the scholars of the Tabi'een, and many of the scholars of Tafsir, that when they made Tafsir of this verse, they said it is Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Urwa rahimahullah ta'ala said because Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu freed seven people, meaning he bought seven slaves who had accepted Islam and were being tortured and persecuted by the Meccans, and he freed them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah said something very similar. Uh, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah said something very similar as well. And so Allah azza wa jal is speaking about this amazing uh, individual. If you take the example of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, one thing that you will find about Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, other than Ibn al-Qayyim as well. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, when it comes to all of the most amazing traits of this religion, you find that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is first and foremost in that category. So for example, if you want to speak about bravery, if you want to speak about courage, you want to speak about generosity, you want to speak about kindness, you want to speak about iman, you want to speak about ibadah, you want to speak about fasting, you want to speak about sadaqah and charity, whatever it may be, Quran, understanding, seeking knowledge, whatever it be, may be, you will find Abu Bakr radiallahu at the very head of those group of people who are known for those characteristics and traits. And that is the blessing that Allah Azza wa gave this amazing companion. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Al-Atqa, because Atqa means, or Al-Atqa means, or it's on the wazan of Af'al, which means the most, right? It's the one that does this the most, right? So when you say, for example, Afdal, Akram, Astaq, all of this means that they are the most truthful, the most generous. Allah Azza wa says here, the most pious. So who from amongst this ummah, obviously after the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who from amongst this ummah fits that category better than anyone? It's Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And that's why it is important to understand the principle as we mentioned before, that it's not exclusive, meaning that these verses aren't exclusively only about Abu Bakr, meaning that they only apply to him and no one else. What it means is that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is first and foremost as an example in this regard. And so Allah Azza wa when he says, you find the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir and all of the major works of tafsir, they have mentioned Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu by name here. And so we can essentially say therefore that Abu Bakr is mentioned in two places by name here in this surah. The first is the one that we took a couple of weeks back or a couple of lessons back when we spoke about those verses uh, towards the beginning of the surah when Allah Azza speaks about those people that Allah Azza will make easy for them their path. And then now we have these final verses and essentially actually the two uh, portions or those two parts of the surah speak about one and the same thing because the if you cast your minds back, even in those earlier verses, the scholars of Tafsir are relating or, re- or, or, or they're, they're pointing towards and they're, and, they're, and they're relating it back to the same incident, which is essentially that Abu Bakr used to find uh, people who were in need of him uh, helping them to buy their, their freedom and then he would free them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is uh, clarified or exemplified more in the next verse because then Allah Azza wa Jal gives a description. So just as we took in the last week, when Allah Azza wa Jal said, I, I, I warn you of a fire that rages, لا يصلاها إلا الأشقى and no one will reach his depths except the worst of people, the most wretched. And then Allah Azza wa Jal describes them and he said, الذي كذب وتولى those who turn away and those who deny and they reject what Allah Azza wa Jal sent in terms of his message and prophets and revelation and signs and so on. Here Allah Azza wa Jal does something very similar. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says, and the one who will be saved from that raging fire is Al-Atqa. And Al-Atqa, as we said, is the one who has the most taqwa, the most piety, is closest to Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. And then Allah Azza wa Jal goes on to give a description of that person and people who will meet that description of, or from the descriptions of the people that have that most taqwa, is الَّذِي يُؤْتِي مَا لَهُ يَتَزَكَّى Verse number 18, those who give wealth away, they give their wealth away, as a means of self-purification. They spend their wealth for the sake of Allah Azza wa as a means of purifying themselves. Which shows in and of itself from the greatest benefits that we take and lessons that we take from this verse, that one of the ways, the, the best ways to achieve purification, not only of your wealth, to make it halal, if for example, there's some wealth, some of our wealth and everyone really, all of our wealth, uh, often has some type of haram that's mixed in one way or another because as humans, especially in the way that we live in the world that we live in today, it is extremely difficult to have a 100% halal income in the sense that sometimes maybe you make a mistake, sometimes maybe you 
uh, I don't know, do something wrong. Sometimes the banking system, it's, it's sometimes it's very difficult to keep all of your wealth halal from all of its places and income. One of the benefits of this verse is, is that if you want to purify your wealth and make it more pure or purify it from any type of, you know, maybe it's just something which is which has a question mark. You're unsure. There's some kind of doubt over it. There's something which you're not 100% sure. Maybe some of that money, you're not sure where it came from. Some people or a lot of people work in an industry where there's wealth that is halal and there's wealth that is haram and it's mixed together. Right? Some people work in a, in, in a place where the companies that they work for, they have halal and they have haram mixed together. So now your wealth and your wage that comes from them has a mixture also of halal and haram. But the way that you deal with that is that it is actually very uh, simple, right? Very simple to actually spend for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So you spend for the sake of Allah azza wa jal. You give sadaqah. So when you give sadaqah, it purifies your wealth, right? And so that's why... Uh, the scholars often say that if you're unsure about some of your wealth or if you have wealth that may have some, a bit of an element, a percentage of haram, one of the ways that you purify is to give some of it in sadaqah. You give some of it in sadaqah for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal, that is a means of purification. But the verse also has a secondary meaning or a primary meaning actually in this context and that is that actually what that sadaqah does is it purifies your soul as well, purifies your heart, allows you to elevate yourself to a higher level of taqwa, and God consciousness and fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and piety. Because giving zakah and on top of zakah, giving your sadaqah or as much sadaqah as you can is one of the greatest ways of purifying yourself. Purifying yourself from sins, purifying yourself also from the diseases of the heart, from things like uh, jealousy and, and hatred and, and those types of things. It is extremely difficult. And so therefore Allah Azza wa Jal, He praises Abu Bakr radiallahu an because Abu Bakr radiallahu an had a great amount of wealth, as we know, is one of the more, more uh, wealthy companions, one of the more, more prosperous people of Mecca. And he spent his wealth for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal. And that is why we have so many hadith that speak about the virtues of the people of Sadaqah and the reward that they will give, have on the Day of Judgment. So, for example, when the Prophet وسلم, spoke about the seven, سَبْعَةٌ يُضِلُّهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي يَوْمَ لَا ظِلَّ إِلَّا ظِلَّ The seven who will be given the shade of Allah on the Day of Judgment. From amongst them, is the one who spends for the sake of Allah Azza wa not knowing how much they spend or keeping that spending secret as much as they can or as, as, as quiet as they can. From those ahadith is the Prophet وسلم, saying that sadaqah will come for the person who gives, gives it on Yawm Al-Qiyamah like a cloud that will shade them. Right? It will shade them on the Day of Judgment from the heat of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So just as Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Al-Imran will shade people for those people who continuously recite them and read them and understand them, then likewise, Sadaqah does something very similar. It comes like a cloud above the one who spends for the sake of Allah Azza wa And so it is something which Allah Azza wa has given a great, and there's many verses in the Quran that speak about the, uh, you know, the, um, the, uh, the, the virtues and the rewards of giving Sadaqah. But it's because Sadaqah is actually not very easy to give. Something very difficult, especially if you're in a situation where you need that wealth or your financial situation isn't always the best or it's not the easiest or you have certain worries and pressures upon you financially because of your family, maybe your work situation, especially now with the, the way the economy is in much of the world and, and you know, and currently in Saudi Arabia, even here, subhanAllah, COVID, because of what it's done in the last 18 months, how many businesses have closed, how many shops are still not open even now, even though things are starting to get back to normal. Half of Mecca seems to be closed around the Haram. It's just simply the way that the world has changed. People have a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure on them financially. But to give Sadaqah even in that time is something which Allah considers or, or rewards heavily. Because that person is in need of their wealth, but they're still willing to promise to, to hold on to the promise of Allah and to spend for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah has an amazing reward. And Abu Bakr is from amongst those people who we know of his generosity and his spending for the sake of Allah. That's why Ibn Kathir said in the tafsir of this verse, this is the person who spends their wealth in the obedience of their Lord. And by doing so, they purify themselves and they purify their wealth. And they purify what Allah has given to them in this world and the next. And Ibn Qayyim ta'ala he has a very beautiful reflection on this verse. And he says from the benefits of this verse is that we see that the person who has the highest level of taqwa should never be in the position where others have favors over him. Rather, he is the one who has favors over them. 
So the person who has the highest level of taqwa should never try to be in a position where other people have favor, hold favor over them, right, over him. In the sense that, for example, people are always doing stuff for you, so you always feel indebted to them. You always feel like you need to repay them or you need to thank them. Because when people give you a lot or they give you something or they're often giving you stuff, you feel a sense of humbleness and humility towards them. Right? You feel as if you're slightly lowered down be before them because they're constantly spending on you and giving to you. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ, he would always, when receiving a gift, he would always repay the gift, meaning he would give something back. He would return something back. At the very least, when you're given a gift, you thank that person by making dua for them. That's the least that you can do in terms of repayment. But the Prophet ﷺ, as is mentioned in a number of a hadith, he would accept gifts, but he would also pay back, meaning that he would re-gift back. He would give people things as well, and he, would, he wouldn't like people to hold, uh, hold things over him, meaning that they have favors over him, except for Abu Bakr Because we know in a number of narrations, the Prophet said that there is not a person, there is not a person who did good towards me except that I gave them back in repayment. Meaning people helped me throughout my life. The Prophet ﷺ, many of the companions helped him in one way or another, but he repaid them back, he gave them back. He said, except for Abu Bakr because he gave me his wealth and his family, and Allah will repay him. So Abu Bakr is the only one that the Prophet ﷺ, and it's because of how much he did for Islam, but not only Islam in general, for the Prophet ﷺ personally as well. Whether it's in the early days of Mecca, whether it's in the Hijrah, whether it's after the Hijrah, all of those different incidents and stories that we know of Abu Bakr and how close he was and the amount of support that he gave by Allah's permission to the Prophet ﷺ, that's something which Allah will repay him for on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So the Prophet ﷺ knew the fadl, the virtue of Abu Bakr because of what he used to do. You know, in the Haram in Medina, the old masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there were many entrances, many doors, because many of the companions, their homes, were very close, if not adjoining, adjoining the masjid. And so they would have all of them, their separate entrances. They were general entrances for people, but then everyone kind of, those people that, whose houses were very close, they would also have their own entrances that they would come into the Haram, the Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. Towards the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, he commanded that all of those entrances be closed, except for the entrance of Abu Bakr And so you have a number of these narrations that show the station and the virtue of Abu Bakr and the way that the Prophet ﷺ understood this. And so that's what Ibn al-Qayyim ta'ala says. The one that Allah is praising, is the one who spends and gives. Right? The Prophet ﷺ told us that this, the hand that gives is better than the hand that receives. So the one who has is in a station of taqwa is the one who gives. Okay, so now the question may then come, what if a person doesn't really have much money? They don't have much wealth to be able to spend and to give. What about such a person who's not in that position necessarily to be able to give so much? That's why you will find amongst the scholars of Islam, those who are not very wealthy and didn't have much in terms of monetary possessions, didn't have much wealth, didn't have much that they could spend and give, but they wouldn't accept wealth either. They wouldn't just take people's gifts and take from them what they gave in terms of money and offerings and so on. And if they had to give, receive it or they had to accept it because it's a gift or it's something which they couldn't infuse, they would distribute it in sadaqah. And there are many stories of this regard from amongst the scholars of the Salaf even from amongst the poor of them, that they would be given wealth and before the evening or before the next day, they would have distributed that wealth to those people that were needy. You have stories of that like uh, narrated uh, concerning Imam Malik and many others of the scholars of the Salaf. And that's because they never wanted anyone to have a favor over them. In fact, even in our time, the likes of Shaykh Ibn Baz and Shaykh Ibn and others, they would often give away their wealth. Right, people that would come and gift them because they were they were well-known scholars or so businessmen and, and and ministers and princes would come and they would often give them uh, they would often give them wealth and they would give them money they would give them cars or they would give them land or they would give them houses or they'd give them money and those sheikhs would go and they would distribute them. It said that Sheikh bin Baz was once given a car as a gift. I don't know if it was from a prince or a businessman, a brand new car because the sheikh had a very old kind of car that he would be driven and chauffeured around it. Someone gave him a new car. And very shortly afterwards, one of the students of the sheikh came 
and he gave him the good news. Look, Sheikh, I'm getting married. Alhamdulillah, I just wanted to let you know. Make dua for me. Allah made it easy for me. I found a spouse, inshallah, in a few days. I'll be married. The Sheikh took the keys and he said, this is a gift for you. For your marriage, take it. And that's how he was. Uh, one of the, the senior princes once visited Sheikh Ibn Uthaymeen, rahimahullah ta'ala. Sheikh Ibn Uthaymeen, his house was very old. One of the old kind of houses in Qasim at that time. And so the prince, when he saw where the Sheikh was living, he said, that I want to buy you new, I want to give you new land and I want to buy a house for you or make, build a house for you and just tell me what you want and what you need and I'll do it for you. And the sheikh said, no, it's okay because I'm already building a house in such and such an area. And so the prince said, oh, okay, that's fine. Then if, you, if you're already doing it, it's okay. And then he left. The sheikh's students and his children said, sheikh, we, we, don't, we don't have any uh, land in that. We don't have any house that we're building. What, what did you mean? The sheikh said, isn't that where the graveyard is? Isn't that where, where, where the graveyard is? And they said, yes. He said, so we're building a house there, right? Everyone's building their grave, meaning their house of the Akhirah. That's what I was referring to. And so this is something which is from a, the sign of taqwa. That a person isn't someone who constantly wants things or is always going. And that doesn't mean that you can't accept gifts if someone gives you a gift. It is allowed and it is actually something which is from the sunnah to accept. But you're not the kind of person who's always looking for gifts or wants to be in a situation where you're constantly being gifted. It's something which you stay away from. And alhamdulillah, if you're given a gift, you accept the gift. But it's not something which you're known for, that you're constantly running after people. Rather, you're the one who's gifting. You're the one who is helping others and you're the one who's spending from your wealth for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal. And that was how Abu Bakr radiallahu was. You won't find, I don't think, hardly a story. And you will find someone saying or the narration saying, that someone helped Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. If you look at his whole life, you rarely find, if ever, you will find a narration that will say, oh, so-and-so came and they gave money to Abu Bakr, or so-and-so came and they helped Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, so-and-so came and they did this for Abu Bakr, they did that for Abu Bakr. In fact, what you will find in his life and his biography is he's the one who's doing it. He's the one gifting, he's the one spending, he's the one freeing people, he's the one who's buying their freedom, he's the one who's helping the Muslims, he's the one, he's the one who's doing this radiallahu anhu arda. And that is the difference, and that is why Ibn Qayyim and others said that this is the reason why the majority of the scholars of Tafsir, they chose Abu Bakr radiallahu an primarily as the example of these verses towards the end of Surah Al-Layl. Uh, Ibn, Ibn Hisham, in his famous seerah, Ibn Hisham, one of the earliest scholars who, one of the earliest collections of seerah that we have, biography of the Prophet Sallallahu and, and those early days, is the seerah of Ibn Hisham. And Ibn Hisham mentions the narration of Urwa, Hisham ibn Urwa on, on, on the authority of his father Urwa, rahimahullah ta'ala. Of the seven people that Urwa, uh, that Abu Bakr radiallahu an freed, right? And Urwa is the grandson of Abu Bakr radiallahu an. So most likely he's taken this information firsthand from his parents or from close relatives or from those people that knew. Abu Bakr radiallahu an, as we know, he freed seven people. The most famous of them being Bilal radiallahu an. Bilal was the slave of Umayyah. And Umayyah would torture him and he would persecute him, as we know the simulations that say that he would bring him out in the middle of the hot day, place him in the middle of the desert, burning desert sand. And it is extremely hot if you go out in the middle of the day in Saudi Arabia, uh, modern day Saudi Arabia, Mecca, Medina, and these places, where it's extremely hot, where the temperatures can reach 40 plus, 45 plus at times. And now the ground is so hot that you can literally probably fry an egg on the ground and he's been placed on the ground so his skin is already burning. It's already being scorched by the heat of the earth. And then they're taking a big boulder that has also been sitting in the heat and they're placing it on his stomach, radiallahu an, Bilal radiallahu an. So when Umayyah was doing this and Abu Bakr radiallahu an saw him, he said, why are you, why are you doing this to him? Right? Why are you torturing this man? And Umayyah said to Abu Bakr radiallahu an, it's all your fault. Right? You're the one who put him in this situation, you save him, meaning that it's because of you and your religion and what you're following, that he's followed you, so it's your fault, now you deal with it. In some narrations it is said, and, and some of these are found in the seerah of Ibn Hisham, that Abu Bakr said that I have another slave who is stronger than Bilal, more able than Bilal, would work for you better than Bilal or Umayyah, so why don't you take him and give me Bilal? And he did so. And so Abu Bakr took Bilal and he freed him for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Freed him for the sake of Allah azza wa jal. Now in some narrations, uh, it said that Abu Bakr paid money. Other narrations said that he, that he paid a great deal of money and so on. Allah azza wa knows best. But the point is that he freed him. He bought him and he freed him for the sake 
of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu frees someone for the sake of Allah azza wa he doesn't hold any favor over them. So normally what would happen is if someone comes and, and you free them, right, it means that they have some kind of loyalty towards you, that you still have some type of influence over them, that you can still command them to do something or not. Whereas with Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, once he frees these slaves, they are freed for the sake of Allah azza wa and he doesn't come and he doesn't say, oh, but you remember what I did for you, you remember what I said for you, and so on. And that's why that narration that is, that is famously mentioned, that is often narrated and mentioned, of when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, and Bilal refused to make adhan for anyone else. And then Abu Bakr comes as the Khalifa and he says, oh, Bilal, do it, make the adhan for me, please make the adhan. And Bilal says, oh, Abu Bakr, if, when you, if you bought me, and you freed me as, as your slave, then I will do as you command. But if you freed me for Allah's sake, then don't ask me what to do. It's up to me. Right? That narration isn't an authentic narration. In fact, it, uh, in, the, in the opinion of the majority of the scholars of, of, of hadith, it is a uh, fabricated narration. It's moldor. It doesn't have any, any, uh, any authenticity to it. Those types of narrations isn't the, the way that Abu Bakr would act. Rather, when Abu Bakr frees someone for the sake of Allah, they're free and he doesn't have any type of of loyalty that he holds over them. So that's the first person. We have Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu freeing, uh, freeing Bilal. The second one that is mentioned in the seerah of Ibn Hisham is Amir ibn Fuhayra. Amir ibn Fuhayra is the man who the Prophet sallallahu wasallam and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu used to, uh, as a guide when they were leaving Mecca on the Hijrah and they were going to Medina. Amir ibn Fuhayra is the man that they used to help them on that journey. And so Amir ibn Fuhira is from, he's the companions, he's a Muslim, and it's said that he, he participated in the battles of Badr and Uhud, and then he was later on uh, martyred in one of the other battles. The third person that, they, that, that, that he freed was a woman by the name of Umm Umais. And all of these people were slaves. So when you say they were freed, meaning that they were slaves to the different people of Mecca, different nobility, different chieftains of Mecca, and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu buys them, and he frees them for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal. So Umm Umais is the third one. The fourth one is another woman by the name of Zinnira. Zinnira. In the seerah of Ibn Hisham, they said that this woman was, uh, was a slave woman, a slave girl, or a slave woman. And so Abu Bakr bought and he freed her. And after she was freed, she became blind. So Zinira, we were speaking about Okay. So Zinira uh, was a woman that, that was freed by Abu Bakr radiallahu anh. It is said that she lost her her eyesight. And so they began to say concerning her that Allah al Uzza took away her eyesight. So she said no. She said no. It is not Allah al Uzza, you have you have lied. And it is said that Allah Azza then returned her eyesight to her as uh, Allah Azza returned her eyesight to her. So they said Allah Azza took it away. That didn't make her shake her belief, didn't think, make her shake in her iman or make her think, oh no, I've, you know, I've done something which is wrong. She stayed true to her faith and Allah Azza returned her eyesight to her. So that's number four. Number five and six are women that are known as, a woman that is known as An-Nahdiyya and her daughter. These were two women that were also slaves that Abu Bakr also bought and he freed for the sake of Allah Azza wa Ibn Hisham doesn't mention a story for all of them. So some of them he gives some detail on others that he doesn't. And they were from the tribe or they were slaves to the tribe of Abdul Dar, Bani Abdul Dar. And so uh, it is said that Abu Bakr passed by these two women as they were being, um, as they were working for a woman who was their, their, their mistress if you like, or the woman that owned them. And she kept saying to them that I will never free you. I will never free you. I will never free you. And then Abu Bakr radiallahu said to her, I will, buy, I will pay for them. I will buy them and I will free them for Allah's sake. And so she agreed to sell them to Abu Bakr radiallahu and they did so. So that's number five and six, the woman that is known as a Nahdi and her daughter. And the last one is a, uh, a slave girl that belonged to the tribe of Banil Mu'ammil. Banil Mu'ammil. And she was also being, it is said in the, in the seerah of Ibn Hisham, that she was also being tortured and persecuted. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anh bought her and he freed her for the sake of Allah azza So those are the seven that are mentioned in the seerah of Ibn Hisham. And so it is because of those seven that Urwa ibn, ibn Zubair and others said that Allah azza praised Abu Bakr radiallahu anh in these verses.
In verse number 19, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on to say, Not to return a favor to anyone. That's the translation of Professor Abdul Halim. Uh, Mufti uh, Muhsin Khan says, and who has in mind no favor from anyone to be paid back. Mufti Taqi says not to return a favor to anyone. Uh, oh, sorry, he says, while no, one, while no one has conferred any favor on him for which he would give a return, and Sahih International are not giving for anyone who has done him a favor to be rewarded. Essentially, this is essentially saying what we mentioned a short while back that when Abu Bakr عن, did something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then he wouldn't ask people to repay him back. He wouldn't hold it over them as a favor that he would continue to do. And that's something which is actually disliked in our religion. In fact, it can even be haram in our religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it in the Quran and is referred to as al-man. Right? Those people who spend for the sake of Allah azza wa jal. And then they, ثُمَّ لَا يُتْبِعُونَ مَا أَنْفَقُوا مَنَّ وَلَا أَذَى Right? Those people who spend and Allah says, and they don't follow it with al-man and al-adha. Al-adha is that you harm a person after you do good towards them. Al-man is that you hold that over them as a favor. Don't you remember that I helped you? Don't you remember that I gave you sadaqah? Don't you remember that I borrowed you 500 pounds? Don't you remember that? And you constantly mention it to them to guilt trip them. Right? You're essentially guilt tripping them to constantly be reminded of the favor that you did for them. That is called al-man. And only Allah Azza wa Jal is allowed to have Al-Man over us. And that is why from the names of Allah Azza wa Jal is Al-Mannan. Allah Azza wa Jal has that favor over us and he has the right to remind us of it. That Allah created us. That Allah provided for us. That Allah guided us. That Allah Azza wa Jal continues to guide us. All of those are favors that Allah holds over us so that we won't worship him subhanahu wa ta'ala, obey him and stay away from his prohibition. So Allah Azza wa Jal is Al-Mannan. But in the creation for us to have men over others, what favor do I have over anyone else? Right? Except for, as was mentioned in the hadith, except for the favor that a parent has over a child, because that is a right that Allah has given to the parents, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to the parents that right, that they have that favor over their child, they have that favor over their children because of what the mother did in terms of giving birth to the child and what the father and the mother do in terms of bringing their children up and providing for them and helping them in the most difficult of circumstances and times when they are in need. Other than that, no one has al-man over anyone else. And so Abu Bakr is someone who spends and he spends for the sake of Allah Azza wa He doesn't want any reward except for the reward from Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. doesn't want anything from anyone except for that which Allah Azza wa has given to him. And that is why we said those stories about him going to Bilal radiallahu an after the death of the Prophet وسلم, saying, Oh Bilal, do this, don't you remember what I did for you and so on. That's why the scholars say that they seem to be fabricated narrations, not only because they don't have any known chain of narration that we know of for these stories, but also because as the Dhabi and others said, that it just seems like they're fabricated because they seem they're going against the very verses that are praising Abu Bakr radiallahu an, that he didn't expect anyone to return a favor to him. He wanted only that which Allah Azza wa Jal has, right? And that which Allah Azza wa Jal has in terms of his reward, that's all that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was seeking. They don't want anything else. And that's why in that famous narration, when Umar radiallahu anhu has some mouth and the Prophet ﷺ is asking for sadaqah, and Umar thinks to himself that if ever I'm going to beat Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu in a good deed, it will be today. So he takes half of his wealth and he leaves half at home. And he comes to the Prophet ﷺ with half of his wealth. And he gives it to the Messenger of Allah. And the Prophet says, Oh Umar, what did you leave behind? And Umar says, Oh Messenger of Allah, I left behind something similar. Meaning I bought half, I left half behind. The Prophet then sees Abu Bakr coming. And Abu Bakr brings everything that he possesses. All of his wealth. Umar came with half. And Umar is the best of this ummah after Abu Bakr but he bought half. And Abu Bakr came with everything. The Prophet says, Oh Abu Bakr, what did you leave behind for your family? And Abu Bakr says, I left for them Allah and His Messenger. Umar says, I knew then that I would never be able to compete with Abu Bakr. That's why there's not a door of good or not a gate of good except that Abu Bakr was at the forefront of it. The hadith when the Prophet came one day and he said to the companions, Who from amongst you awoke this morning? If in a state of fasting, Abu Bakr said, I did. Who followed the janazah? Abu Bakr said, I did. Who visited a sick person? Abu Bakr said, I did. Who fed a poor person? Abu Bakr said, I did. The Prophet said, none of these are gathered in a single person on a single day, except that Allah will give to that person Jannah. 
So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, at the forefront of everything, it is Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, and that is why his position in this ummah is after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in terms of being the best of this ummah. Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala said that Abu Bakr, or that Allah is saying about this person, that he doesn't want any thanks or gratitude from people. And this is the highest level of taqwa, that you don't expect anything from anyone. As Ibn al-Qayyim and others have said, you don't expect anything from anyone. You only expect it from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of reward in the akhirah. So if someone, if you give and that person doesn't say thank you, doesn't say jazakallah khair, doesn't show you any gratitude, doesn't show you any type of goodness, you have no care. It doesn't bother you because you didn't do it for them in the first place. That doesn't mean at the same time that you're someone who's taken for granted or that you're someone who, for example, people can play with or people can take advantage of and you don't really understand how to. No, because that's not also the way of our religion, to be someone who's considered to be a fool and always taken to be played on. But at the same time, if someone is needy and you help them and you stand up and you give to them and they don't thank you, it's not something which bothers you. But rather, your reward is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you don't expect anything from anyone. And that is extremely difficult to do because most people, we expect a level of gratitude. Now that's for the person who gives. The person who receives our religion tells us, and this is the beauty of our religion, that we should be thanking them. So for me, if I am given something to thank that person, to make dua for them, to repay them in terms of giving them a gift back and so on, it is from the greatest type of good that I can do. So Islam tells us how we should be when we give that we shouldn't expect anything back, but at the same time, the one who receives, it tells us how to behave as well. So the one who gives, if they get something back, alhamdulillah, but if they don't, it doesn't affect them in terms of them feeling that they lost out or they didn't achieve anything in terms of goodness. And the one who receives, receives, and they repay that with goodness as well, as Allah Azza wa and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam have told us. Uh, Sa'id ibn Jubayr rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that these verses were revealed concerning Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Because he bought people and he freed them for the sake of Allah and didn't expect from them any repayment, nor any type of gratitude. He freed the set six or seven people from amongst them was Bilal and Amir ibn Fuhira radiallahu anhuma. And Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said that this is the person who spends and they give charity. And they don't expect anything in terms of return, but rather they only expect the reward of their Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the greatest of reward. So what Allah has prepared for that person is greater than anything else. And that is why Ibn Ashur, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that the scholars of tafsir have all agreed that the person who is being referred to in these last few verses, first and foremost, is Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu because of the good that he did in freeing those companions such as Bilal radiallahu anhu. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, what is said, he said, and uh, and that is because Ibn Ashur says, it is, it is said that the Quraysh, when Abu Bakr radiallahu freed Bilal, they said that he's only freeing Bilal radiallahu because Bilal holds a favor over him, right? This is the thinking of the people who don't believe in Allah, who don't have a concept of reward or punishment, who don't believe in the Akhirah. For them, why would you free someone? Remember like we mentioned, uh, the father of Abu Bakr radiallahu Abu Quhafa, he said, oh Abu Bakr, if you're going to free people, why don't you free people that will actually benefit you? Right, will actually help you, will actually come to your support and aid. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, I don't, I'm not freeing him for that reason. I am freeing them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So likewise, it is said, Ibn Ashur mentions in his tafsir, that the Quraysh was spreading these rumors, that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is freeing the likes of Bilal, because Bilal has some favor over him. It never entered their mind, it wasn't a concept that they understood, that you would just free someone for Allah's sake, not because you owed them, not because you wanted something from them, not because you expected some type of return from them, but only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is no doubt the highest level of taqwa and the highest form of sadaqah to give that type of spending in the way of Allah azza wa jal. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ibn Ashur says that Allah azza wa jal, therefore to show the uh, falsehood of what they were spreading about Abu Bakr radiallahu an and Abu and Bilal having some favor over him, Allah Azza wa mentioned these verses that he spends only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not expecting any return, not expecting any favor from anyone in its place. In verse number 20, then Allah Azza wa says, Illa but for the sake of his Lord the Most High, meaning that Abu Bakr and those people who are al-atqa from the most pious and the best of people who spend in the way of Allah in order to purify themselves and their wealth and their provision, they are those people who don't seek any type of reward from anyone else. 
Don't expect any type of favor from anyone. Rather, what they want is the reward that Allah has given to them, that Allah has promised to them. That is all that they seek, Allah's reward. And to do something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is such a liberating feeling. When you pray and you're praying only for Allah's sake, when you give sadaqah and you don't care about anything else, you're only doing for Allah When you're fasting or you're doing something good or you're seeking knowledge and you know from that knowledge that you're seeking or that you're teaching that you're not going to get paid, that you're not going to get any type of, of gratitude, that you're not necessarily going to get any type of accolade or reward or whatever it may be. Whatever it is that you're doing, you're only doing it for the sake of Allah, it is extremely liberating. Liberating in the sense that you know that it is only for Allah that it is sincere inshallah for his sake. And so it liberates you because as soon as other things start to enter into that intention, you're doing it for the sake of Allah, inshallah, but also you're getting paid. So now that's a difficult intention to keep straight. Sometimes shaitan comes and he makes one thing seem more important than the other. It's a very difficult thing to fight or you're going to get some type of praise or you're going to get some type of, of fame or whatever it may be. All of those things, when they enter into the intention or they accompany the intention that we should have, they start to dilute it or they start to interfere with it. And it takes a lot of self-reflection and self-accounting uh, you know, self to be able to keep that sincerity for the sake of Allah But when it's something only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the person who's alone and they remember Allah and they cry. The person who's alone in the middle of the night and they stand to pray tahajjud and they make dua to Allah and they recite the Quran. No one knows. The person who goes and they give sadaqah in such a way that no one knows who it came from. No one has any idea that you gave to them, how much you gave to them, when you gave and how you gave. No one knows. The person who helps someone and that even the one that you're helping doesn't know that it's you that helped them. You intercede on someone's behalf. You give them some help. You speak to someone on their behalf. They don't even know that you're involved. Those things that are sincerely for the sake of Allah, they are something which are extremely liberating and it gives you a sense of being able to taste that closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the sweetness of Iman that you have when you're worshipping Allah. And when you understand that sensation or you have that feeling and you understand how precious it is, that is why you find that the scholars were those people who did it after one time again and again and again. Those people who constantly do this because they understand the feeling that it brings. And that's why Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that these people, they spend only because they wish to see Allah in the day of judgment. They want to see Allah in the highest levels of Jannah. And Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, said that they want to seek Allah's pleasure and seek that which brings them closer to him. And from the greatest, uh, from the greatest reward that they will give, that Allah will give to the people of Jannah, is that they will be able to see his face on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And Ibn al Qurtubi says, and Allah describes himself as Al-A'la, the Most High, which shows that Allah is high subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning that he is above us and above his throne subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Ibn al-Qayyim ta'ala said that Allah here mentions that the best intention or the highest intention that you can have when you are performing an act of worship is that you are doing it only for Allah's sake, for Allah's face, in order to see him subhanahu wa ta'ala on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. That is the greatest goal and intention that you can have. That you're only doing it for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions that this is, or these verses, again, as we mentioned before, they speak about Abu Bakr radiallahu an first and foremost. And because he says, as we mentioned before, Abu Bakr radiallahu an is the one who everyone else, he has a favor over them. But no one has a favor over him. To the extent that Ibn Kathir ta'ala says that even from amongst the non-Muslims, the Quraysh and others, they still remembered even after Islam and all of the tension and all of the, the hatred and animosity between the Muslims and the non-Muslims, they still remember the favors of Abu Bakr radiallahu an over them. It said that Uwa ibn Mas'ud, who was a Thaqafi, who later on becomes a Muslim radiallahu an, but in the time of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, he is a, the leader of the tribe of Thaqif. And he's one of the people that come to try to negotiate with the Prophet And as he's negotiating, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, is said in one narration, becomes angry. And he speaks harshly towards him. And Urwa radiallahu anhu, uh, Urwa at the time is not a Muslim, Urwa ibn Mas'ud, he looks up and he sees Abu Bakr and he says, Oh Abu Bakr, were it not for the favors that you have over me, I would respond to what you're saying. Meaning your harsh words to me, I would say something back to you just as harsh. Were it not for the favors that I remember, that you have over me. And so Ibn Kathir ta'ala says that this is Abu Bakr an, even with the non-Muslims, he has favors over them, let alone with those Muslims that he freed for the sake of Allah 
subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is when the hadith al-Bukhari and Muslim, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, whosoever spends zawjain, two things of the same for the sake of Allah azza wa jal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, that, Allah, that the, the, the gatekeepers of paradise will say, O servant of Allah, this is goodness, meaning continue to spend in this way. The Prophet ﷺ was asked then by Abu Bakr radiallahu O Messenger of Allah, everyone will enter from their gates of paradise, meaning the people of fasting go to the gate of fasting, the people of sadaqah to the gate of sadaqah, the people of prayer to the gate of prayer, because as we know, Jannah has a number of gates, eight gates. Is there anyone who will be called from all of those gates? And the Prophet ﷺ said, Naam wa arju an takuna minhum, yes, there will be such people and I hope that you will be from amongst them. And that is why, Allah Azza wa Jalla then concludes this surah in verse 21 and he says, وَلَا سَوْفَ يَرْضَى And it's a beautiful ending and conclusion to this surah and he will be well pleased. He does this for the sake of Allah, hoping for Allah's reward, not seeking anything from anyone else. Allah Azza wa Jalla gives the answer. وَلَا سَوْفَ يَرْضَى And Allah will ensure that he is pleased. He did it to seek Allah's pleasure, to seek Allah's reward. Allah says he will be pleased with him. And Allah says that he will have that reward. As Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said, that Allah Azza wa will make sure that this one who spends and has taqwa, that Allah Azza wa will ensure that he is pleased and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will purify him with that which will give him a great reward in the akhirah in place of that which he spent in this world when he comes to the meeting with his Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. And then Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said something very similar that this person will have in Jannah, that which will please them. And it will be far greater and far more and much more in terms of being multiplied in terms of that which they gave in the dunya, meaning that that which they gave in the dunya will be nothing compared to what Allah Azza wa will give them in terms of reward and his pleasure, subhanahu wa ta'ala, on yawmul qiyamah. And with that, we come to alhamd, the end of the tafsir of Surah Al-Layl. So if there's any questions, you can uh, send in a couple of questions if you have them. If not, then inshallah ta'ala, we will conclude for today. Ta'ala, and the next week, inshallah ta'ala, we will begin with the tafsir of Surah Al-Shams. Any questions? Okay, so if, if there's not any questions, then inshallah ta'ala, we will conclude for today. Are there any specific known virtues of reciting this beautiful surah? Not that I know of, Allahu A'lam. So um, the only thing is what we mentioned at the beginning is that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this as one of the surahs that should be recited in, in Surah al, uh, in Salat al-Isha. Not because there's a specific virtue to reciting it, but just to give an indication of the type of length of surah that a person should be reciting in those, that type of salah. So in the Hadith of Ma'ad, he said, don't make the salah too long, but read surahs like Surah Al-A'la and Al-Shams and Mullayl. Right, just so that people know the length, not because there is a specific virtue for this surah, and Allah Azza wa knows best. Okay, so inshallah ta'ala, we're going to conclude there. Bismillah ta'ala, jazakumullah khairan, wa sallallahu ala nabi Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.